Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Reef Talk. This week's episode, we're going to be covering, um, actually, this weekend, went to Reefapalooza, California. So for you guys out there that are listening in, chiming in to guys, or to us, thank you very much for dropping by. Uh, but yeah, I, you know, for you guys that are maybe aren't aware, there's quite a bit of shows that tour uh, around the states as well as some out of the country. Um, but we're mainly going to be talking about here the ones in the states. So I recently attended uh, RAP, also known as Reefa Palooza. Uh, they have, I believe, four different ones: uh, New York, Orlando, Chicago, uh, California. Sometimes they do change cities, uh, but generally they try and hit the big cities. Um, so this year, myself being here in California. I was able to hit up uh, Reef of Palooza, California. Now, for you guys that haven't been to these events, uh, you know, unlike some events are more geared towards uh, companies like Macna, um, also newer releases, so on. Uh, Reef of Palooza, you see quite a bit of corals, actually a lot of corals. Not that many fish. You do get some fish, mainly like clownfish. Um, but it's really geared uh, to bring uh, corals, dry goods, and really for the consumer to be able to buy, you know, from the store, uh, you know, what have you. But anyways, if you guys haven't attended one, I highly recommend you guys to check one out because you're going to be in for a really big treat. More importantly, be sure uh, you bring, you know, I'd say generally speaking with about, you know, three, four hundred bucks, you can get some pretty nice pieces given there are pieces that are uh, pretty rare, pretty hard to find. So don't expect, uh, you know, this place to also uh, be quite pricey. And I think a lot of people, when they first go to these expos, if you will, conventions, whatever, you know, whatever you want to call it, a lot of people expect for stuff to be really, really cheap. You know, I've been to other stuff in the industry uh, where conventions or expos in other markets, not reef related. And generally speaking, when you go to those events, you go in companies price stuff really, really aggressive, like you'll be 10, 15% under market, you know, under retail. Um, but it was very interesting when I went to my first uh, reefing show, if you will, I noticed it was quite opposite. Prices in some cases were actually more expensive than I would find them um, somewhere else. And the reason for this, you know, these companies pretty much, whatever they're bringing to the show, you better believe if they have a really nice, super colorful, super rare piece, they're going to bring it. And in their mind, they're like, why am I going to sell it for cheaper when it's a prime piece uh, in my collection? So I'm going to obviously ask top dollar. And again, I don't blame them. You know, um, if you're bringing some heat, you know, I don't at all hesitate paying top dollar for it. But I'm just saying this so you do go better prepared. If you're like me, you know, when I came to my first event, I thought it was going to be like every other uh, convention or expo out in the industry. Uh, you always expect to pay less money. (laughs) And these you'll pay fair market or above uh, market. It's very, very rare for you to find pieces under market value. Um, And and there is some, but it's just very rare. And if you are going with that mentality, I just rather tell you what to expect here up front so you're not like me and you're complete and utter shock. Um, But anyways, yeah, I was down there. I uh, was able to talk to some great companies. Uh, Polyp Lab was there representing, obviously, their Reefroids and their full product line of products they have. Uh, it was great to see Unique Corals. Unique Corals always just bringing that fire. If you guys have missed the YouTube video uh, I did on my YouTube channel, Eat, Sleep, Reef, be sure to check it out. Uh, their facility is pure fire. Uh, very nice facility. Uh, they are a distributor. They're wholesalers as well as um, end consumer 
uh, retailer. So uh, you're able to, you know, get some really nice pieces uh, from them. Uh, being such a big importer, they pick, you know, they have quite a bit of selection. A lot of times they'll get some really rare pieces, really hard to find pieces. Uh, so it's very good to be checking up on them, either their Instagram, um, I'm sure they got a Facebook, um, and of course their website. Um, another company who stumbled across was uh, Cali Kid Corals. Cali Kid Corals probably had, uh, as far as my eyes saw, the most expensive pieces um, here. I'm sure there were some others, but I didn't go around to every vendor and ask them, uh, you know, of all their pieces. But um, aside from uh, these main coral vendors, um, there was some new products there, uh, not brand new being released there. Generally speaking, wrap is not Reefapalooza. Um, yeah, is not an event that you tend to see companies release products in. Uh, for that, it's typically Macna. And Macna is what, I think a week and a half away. So it's literally right around the corner. Um, but yeah, that's generally speaking an event that you'll see uh, companies releasing new products. And uh, really, you know, if you're waiting for a new product, that's where you generally do see it. The only downside with Macna, I did go last year for my first year in Vegas. Uh, don't expect to be able to buy anything. Um, there is some vendors that go, but it's really just driven uh, for companies to come and show off, for companies to uh, meet other companies and bargain and set up deals and so on and so forth, you know, do collaborations and, uh, you know, business stuff. Uh, very few vendors go. Uh, there is some vendors, but if you're going to buy like corals and fish and so on, uh, you won't be very happy. Now, if you do go to Macna, the last day generally is on a Sunday. On that day, you can actually get some really good deals on fish and coral because uh, these vendors that do take to set up these display tanks, obviously they got to break them down. Um, in a lot of cases, they'd rather sell the fish because they know the fish is going to be in quite stress. It's already been in stress, uh, being taken to the event, being at the event, and then again broken down, taken back. Um, so a lot of them just rather sell it there. So this is actually the rare scenario where uh, you can get pieces very, very, very cheap. I got some clam. I remember last year my Mac and I got clam, uh, Zoas, uh, quite a few other pieces for dirt cheap guys. I would have, I bought a clam. I forgot the name of it, but, uh, it was about a retails about $150 clam. I got it for 50, I want to say 50 bucks. So it was a hell of a deal. I got some crazy designer Zoas for, I think I got three huge, and when I say they were, each colony was, I'd have to say at least 40 polyps easily. I got three colonies with about 40 polyps each for 50 bucks. So yeah, uh, Magna is an event you can go to and actually get killer deals um, for you guys wanting to, uh, you know, get some good deals. So yeah, pretty much, um, you know, they're great events. They're great for family. If you got family, you got kids, um, be sure to take them. Also, you know, keep in mind kids, family members, they may not be that into it. Uh, so don't expect to be leaving a little bit early. Uh, what I suggest, you know, if your family's not into it, don't put them through that. You know, they probably could care less about corals. They don't want to be in these places for more than probably an hour. Um, so for you to really enjoy it, you know, head over, uh, take people that actually enjoy it so you can stay a little bit longer. Um, of course, if your family enjoys it, hey, more power to you. I just know my family doesn't really care about it, so I generally don't uh, take them to these events. Um, but yeah, guys, um, I really think, like I said, if you haven't checked one out, you guys should check one out. Uh, 
you can go to reefapalooza.com. Um, they have, I think they have a general website where you can check out all the different events going on. Uh, Magna is another one. Uh, what's another event? The uh, Aquashella. Aquashella is a brand new um, event that started, I think, last year or the year before. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. They generally have two shows. Um, I think Dallas was this year and Chicago, I think, is number two. Um, but you can, again, head to their website. Uh, Magna is another one. Um, and then I think there's probably like one or two more. But there's not that many. Um, and then, of course, out of country, there's uh, uh, Reef Stock. Uh, Jake Adams does that one. Um, I hear in China there's some amazing ones. <clears throat> Excuse me. There's some really nice ones um, overseas. Uh, but, yeah, again, you guys can do that research and check that out. So in today's podcast, guys, what I wanted to talk about was relocating and moving a tank. Um, I know it's something that's dreaded in the industry. I know I dreaded it, and I recently had to do two moves, not on the same tank, but different tanks. So I was able to pick up quite a bit. I was able to learn a lot. Um, it was my first time doing it. I did you know, quite a bit of research, as I always do. Um, so was pretty prepared for was what to or for what was to come. What to come? <laughs> that always confused me. Um, but I was very prepared for what was to come, and felt very confident. Felt I was going to do pretty good. Um, you know, a lot of people worry about this because it's a um, it's a big ordeal, and we all know how much corals love stability. So the thought of us just coming in, tearing their whole environment apart, and setting them up in another same environment but through the whole chaos and move um it's a hard pill to swallow a lot of people expect a lot of corals that i i've heard and i'm sure you've heard horror stories about people moving tanks and everything just goes crap everything just dies it's horrible they lose everything the tanks never the same they got to shut it down i've heard them um so you better believe i went in it a little bit afraid but i figured if i did my research did everything the way it's supposed to do and did my best to, you know, make it as easy as possible, maybe just maybe we'll have some luck, right? So I did a video on Aquaman Shalom. We set up his Infinity Series mode, 135-gallon tank, guys. We tore down his 70-gallon, put the 135. If you guys haven't checked out that video on Eat Sleep Brief, please take time to check it out. It's already at like 35,000 views, and we just put it up, what, two weeks ago, three weeks ago? But anyways, he was uh, upgrading his tank again to the Mode Aquarium's Infinity Series. If you guys haven't checked those tanks out, guys, you're really missing out. I highly urge you to check out their website, uh, modeaquariums.com. Um, because, yeah, they really took Ghost Overflow to another dimension. Uh, very clean, very sleek. But again, this video isn't about that. Anyways, not this video, this podcast. Um, so, yeah, Shalom called me. Hey, bro, I'm going to be setting up the tank. Can you help me? He's like, I know you, uh, you know, if you don't know something, you'll figure out a way. So come over, help me out. And I was like, sure, let, let's see what I can do. So did my research and we went, picked up the tank, went home. So we had a big, big ordeal here to overcome. We had to move the fish. We had to move the rock. We had to move uh, the sand. I'm going to talk about the sand. <clears throat> and we also had to move all the equipment because all the equipment was going to be running on the 135. So we get there, unload the tank. And then we got to immediately pull out, um, I think, two brute cans. So you want to make sure you have a storage place for your water. Uh, the only thing with brute cans, guys, and keep this in mind, if you're going to be moving far, 
it's going to be very difficult to move the big, big, big brew can. A lot of scenarios are better off getting the little five-gallon storage containers, put them in there, and just obviously multiple of them store the water there. So you're going to have to find a way and a place to store the water. In our case, we weren't moving the tank to a different location, just moving a tank, period. Uh, switching a tank, if you will. Um, so that's how we figured that out. Um, another handy thing to have is going to be a pump to siphon out the water when the water line gets pretty low in the tank, because at that point the siphon won't work, as you know, to be expected. So having a pump, I actually used one on, on Amazon I got for, I kid you not, guys, it's like 2,000 gallons an hour. Um, and I want to say... I got it for like 15 bucks. It's it's like a blue, it's like a blue and grayish, blue and blackish uh, pump. Um, guys, for the price, I mean, I love these things. They're super inexpensive. I mean, if they fail, hell, it's 15 bucks, you know, it doesn't hurt. Um, so that was how I was gonna, going to um, siphon the water out, you know, once the water level got low. Plan number two was to start taking out as many corals as I can from the rock escape. Obviously, the more delicate stuff like torches, uh, Monty caps, uh, you know, the delicate corals. I want to get those off, get them in a storage bin with water from the tank and kind of set them aside. So that's kind of the second step that you want to do. You want to make sure you have a container for some corals. You know, some of you guys have not that many corals or have tanks that the corals can easily be moved. If you, if you can move all the corals, better yet, move them all, get them out of the way. Um, and just put them in a container. So step number three was going to be to move uh, the rock. So the rock he wanted to use, uh, generally speaking, you should use live rock so you don't restart your cycle because um, restarting the cycle just pretty much restarts everything. Uh, so in this scenario, um, you are able to set up a tank the same day if you're using the same uh, live rock from the tank. So in this case, we were using all his rock from his 70, putting it in the 135. He had a lot of live rock, like a little bit too much for that 70. So it was actually perfect for the 135. Um, so what we did there, we took out the rock and we put them, um, <clears throat> obviously a lot of the times the rock is glued, so you don't want to have to break it. So what we did, we took his aquascape and we literally just threw it in the brute cans and that was going to maintain whatever life was on there because there was still some corals on there. Um, we didn't want to leave that out to dry because at that point we'd have bacteria start dying, we'd get die off, and we may restart a mini cycle. So it's very important you put your rock in a container with the water from the tank, again, so you don't have as much die off um, and don't have to restart your cycle. So step number four was to drain the water just a little bit more. And you guys are probably saying, so what about the fish? When did the fish come out? Well, the fish, I generally don't want to grab one when there's rock in there because there's no way you're going to grab every single one <laughs> if you got a rock scape. Um, two, I don't like grabbing them when there's corals in there. Why? Because without you paying any attention to the coral, you're going to swing your net, swing your arm around, and you're going to damage the coral. So generally, I, I only get them when the rock's out, when the uh, corals are out. And I make sure that the water level is probably about f not even four, maybe like three to four inches um, up. The reason I do this, this allows for the fish or doesn't allow for the fish to really run away. Um, it's a lot easier to catch them, a lot easier to corner them. Um, and at the end of the day, you'll stress them out just a bit less. So once we got the fish out, obviously the wrasses, they'll tend to burrow those themselves in. So with the wrasses, you may have a little bit of fun. You're gonna have to dig them out literally. 
um, dig them out. But luckily we got all the fish out. Now you can store these fish either in the brute can, you can store them in the container where you have your corals, or just pull a different container for them. Uh, you're going to notice it's very important that you are prepared with your containers here. You know what scape you have, you know how many corals you have, how many fish, and you grab the appropriate containers um, so there is no die-off, so there is less stress on everything on the coral, the fish, um, and so on. Now, a very important step here, guys, step five is going to be, <clears throat> excuse me, um, it's going to be to not, and I repeat, do not use the old sand. Now, in some scenarios, you can use the old sand. Um, if you got a pretty thin uh, sand bed, you generally shouldn't have a problem with it. If you're a person like me that siphons out his sand every time he does water change, you can do it as well. Like me, I can literally stick my hand in my sand, mix it all up, and the water will still be clear. Like you won't even notice anything. And I know guys that they stick their hand in the sand and it's a dust storm. There's brown stuff. There's nasty stuff coming out. So in those scenarios, you do not want to use the sand. Why? Because by you moving the sand, you're going to release all the nutrients in the sand and you're going to kill everything. You're going to kill the corals. You're going to shock them. Super high nitrates, super high phosphates. Um, uh, you're going to shock the fish as well for the same reasons. <clears throat> Just too many nutrients in the water column. Um, and it's not going to be a good day. I think a lot of people, why they have issues is they use the same sand. And you cannot, 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 cannot do that. What you should use is, um, obviously, if you're going to use sand, um, use live sand. Carib Sea makes a great selection of sand, uh, so be sure to get enough pounds for whatever tank you're setting up and use live sand. Now, I know a lot of you guys out there are asking, well, won't that restart a cycle? Well, generally speaking, live sand shouldn't, uh, but we all know live sand can only be so much alive, if that makes any sense. So I've noticed even with live sand, you get a mini cycle. You get a little bit of diatoms for about a week. But other than that, everything else stays pretty stable. You don't get any spikes in nutrients. Um, so that's a lot safer than if you were to use your old sand. So step number four, guys, be sure to not use the sand. But in this case, we had to get the sand out of the tank. Why? Because ain't no one moving that 70-gallon tank with about, I don't know, 60, 70 pounds of sand. So we had to get all the sand out. That was a trip on its own. <clears throat> it was, you know, a little bit of work. But we got all that out, and then we were finally able to move the tank. Now, with this specific tank, it had a sump. So guess what? There's more water, more equipment, more weight down in the cabinet. So again, we had to uh, pretty much start with taking out all the equipment, all the wiring, uh, then started siphoning out all the water from the sump. This is where that pump came in handy that I told you guys I got from Amazon. Um... So want to be sure to empty that. Once we got the whole sump empty, we we're able to move the tank and the sump outside, finally move the cabinet, and then it was time to get the new tank in. So obviously we moved the stand, we got the sump in there, we got the tank. Uh, and after that, it was pretty straightforward. Once we got the old tank moved out, once we got it torn down, the rest was really, really easy. <clears throat> so in this case, what we started with was putting all the sand in. So we put all the live sand in. It was carob sea, not too much. I think it was about an inch um, of sand, which was actually perfect. I, I'm not a big fan of the look of the deep sand beds. I just don't like it at all. Um, not to mention the the on the glass, you'll tend to, if you got a really thick, excuse me, if you have a really thick sand bed, 
you'll tend to see like nasty stuff in weird colors uh, along the bottom of it. Obviously, we have glass aquariums, right? So you're able to see through it. Um, I just don't like that. It looks very nasty, very dirty. Um, again, just my thoughts. Some of you may love it and hey, more power to you. Nothing wrong with it. I personally just don't love it. Not to mention thick sand beds generally, not always, you know, not always, but generally speaking, they're a little bit more maintenance because you got to know what you're doing. If one day you go in there and you stir it, you can literally nuke out a tank, uh, depending on how much you stir. Um, but yeah, you just, you got to know what you're doing. So generally my rule is, you know, <clears throat> an inch is more than enough, uh, even three quarters, you know, I've gotten away with. Um, but yeah, so we started out with putting up, uh, putting on the sand. Um, after the sand, you know, we leveled that out. We were happy where it was. After that, we started to introduce water. So by this time, you know, Shalom's on the bottom, put pretty much putting all the equipment in, working on the plumbing. <clears throat> That's another thing, guys. If your tank does have plumbing, be sure to do all this before you put any sand or any water. Because if for any reason you need to move from the tank, you ain't going to be able to. So if you need to access the rear of the tank, you're going to have to do all your plumbing before you do any of this. Because again, if it needs to be moved, you ain't going to be able to move it. Um, or at least not be able to move it very easily. So, <clears throat> excuse me. Once we had all that figured out, Shalom was working on the bottom, all the equipment, all the wiring. I uh, started putting in water. You know, I was in charge of putting the water. Once I got the water level, you know, probably about five inches, then I put in the rock. Now, some people will tell you, you know, put your rock in first, then the sand. Me, guys, I don't like that because if for any reason that rock slips out of my hand, yeah, it won't be a good day. It's just going to pretty much crack the whole glass. This way, if I do happen to drop it, it'll hit the sand. It'll be more surface to spread out over the glass, and hopefully it won't crack. Not guaranteeing it won't, but hopefully it won't. I'm, I'll tell you this. It'll be a lot better than it just hitting the raw glass. So when you do put it in, this step you do want to make sure. You want to make sure you push and you wiggle the rock as much into place as you can as, as low to the glass as you can because if for any reason you have any fish or inverts that like digging the last thing you want is them digging a hole where it makes a rock unstable it hits your glass the whole thing cracks it's not a good day um so yeah be sure you wiggle your rock all the way as far down to the bottom as you can um, again when you are putting water into the tank and there's sand don't do it directly in the sand because you're just going to stir it up. There's going to be dust everywhere. Even if you rinse the sand, guys, which I don't recommend you doing because it is live sand, um, you'll still have dust. Uh, but generally, live sand is a lot more cleaner than dry sand. It's already been filtered out pretty well. Uh, so you can you, you know, you can expect very little, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, fogging of the tank. What I recommend is getting like a little bowl, a little pot setting it on the sand bed and filling that boulder pot till it overflows. So what this is going to do, it's going to be less water flow out of the pot, which is going to mean less contact and less disruption to the sand, which thus is going to mean less dust or fogging or whatever you want to call it. So that's kind of my method. Again, once I do get the water up to about five inches, I put in the rock, wiggle it into place. And from this point forward, about five inches, it's a good time you can throw in the fish. You can wait a little bit longer if you want. But you, this is a time you can put them in now. You can wait till later, you know, what, whatever you'd like. And I know a lot of you guys out there are asking, well, <clears throat> I never heard you talk about a heater. Was there a heater used? Um, in my boat scenarios, guys, I did not use a heater. Um, I figured it was pretty hot outside. It was about 90 degrees outside. So the homes internally were about 78 degrees. 
Uh, so generally speaking, if you do have a temperature fluctuation, it'll be equal across all the waters you have, both the water in the storage bins, the water in the containers, the water going in the tank. They'll all either go up or come down equally. Um, so you shouldn't stress out the fish. Obviously, if they're crazy, you know, 90 degrees, you're going to have issues or crazy cold, you're going to have issues. You may need uh, either a fan or a heater to, you know, keep the right temperature. But generally speaking, guys, these corals and fish will handle um, a bit of a range of temperatures as long as they're gradual and over time. You know, if they're sudden, they're going to get pissed off. But um, if they're gradual, you should be fine. And again, in my case, I didn't need any heaters. Um, so from this point, I did add the fish. I waited a little bit longer till I added the coral, um, waited till I had the water level a little bit higher, about halfway to the rock. And this is where we went back and pretty much put the corals back, you know, to the best we could. And we didn't worry too much about the final placement here. Cause again, the, f the tank was a little bit cloudy. So we knew we were going to probably end up moving it, but we just tried to get as many as we can back in. Um, in the tank. From this point, we obviously continued filling the tank. We needed to mix more water because we had taken out water from a 70 gallon. We were starting at 135. Uh, so we had to make sure we had available pre-mixed uh, salt water ready to obviously uh, make up for the difference. Um, but once we did do that, once we got that installed, we put on the lights, we started the flow, started, you know, the heaters, everything. Everything settled in nicely, guys. Believe it or not, I messaged Shalom a few days after and I said, Hey bro, how's everything doing? He said, man, great. He's like, I think I lost just one or two pieces, very small coral, um, which wasn't bad. And kind of to sum it up, I essentially did the same thing. I recently moved my 45 gallon tank about what, three weeks ago and, um, use the same process I just spoke about. You know, so I'm not going to run down how that went. Um, but use the same thing, guys, same technique, uh, the only thing that was different on mine, I did use the same sand. But if you're going to use the same sand, this is the time you can, is if you leave the old sand in there and you do not mix it at all. So what I did, I left the sand in there, took as much water out, and I didn't move it. The good thing, guys, is my sand bed isn't very deep at all. In my sand bed, I siphon it out often. So there's really no buildup under it. I mean, like I said, you can run your fingers, your hand through my sand bed, mix it as much as you want. You barely see anything come up, barely any dust, barely any any fogging. Um, so that was a very unique scenario where if you don't disturb the sand bed, you can keep it in there. Um, and again, if you keep your sand bed clean. So a good recommendation if you're thinking about moving your tank in the next few months, what I would do is start siphoning your sand uh, just um, small pockets at a time, uh, you know, very small areas at a time. Maybe one day you do the front right corner, the next water change, you do the back left, back right, front left, you know, so on and so forth. Just cycle through it because you never want to mix up all your sand bed if you've never done it. So if you're thinking about moving, a good recommendation I would do is to start doing your water changes and focus a lot on the sand and only do it in pockets at a time. So you, again, you don't have a huge, um, you know, nitrate and phosphate uh, bloom essentially. But yeah, guys, I pretty much did the same technique to my tank. I think in my tank, I only lost one, two, I lost two pieces, very small frags. You know, frags are generally going to be the ones that, you know, stress a lot more because they've already been stressed and they've been fragged. Um, colonies tend to do a lot better. And hey, guys, look, if you have, you know, a few more corals die, you know, it, it's part of it. Again, you recently just <laughs> removed them from their whole habitat and uh, moved into another one. So that's perfectly normal. As far as the fish, had no losses on my end or Shalom's end. He 
you know, as far as he told me, he had no losses in fish. I had no losses in fish. Um, the only loss in fish I had was a yellow coarse wrasse that I gave to my neighbor for helping me move. Um, but other than that, it was straightforward. Um, and yeah, guys, I just really wanted to give you guys an episode to help you guys move. I know a lot of people dread this, but hopefully by you guys listening to this, you're able to hear that it's not as bad as it sounds. It's actually pretty straightforward as long as you plan ahead, as long as you're ready for it. Um, everything's well thought out. It should be nice, straightforward. Um, generally speaking, a lot of people worry about what time frame they have to move a tank, you know, like how many hours they have. You know, a lot of these times, just once in a while, you know, go to where the fish and the coral are, stir up the water a little bit uh, to give them a little bit flow. But generally speaking, guys, they'll handle, I mean, you got to figure these corals and fish get shipped overseas. Uh, so they can handle, you know, 12, 24 hours um, being you know, out of a fish tank, out of the ocean. Um, of course, as long as the water is moving a little bit, keeping it oxygenated, you should be fine. So generally speaking, you pretty much have the whole day uh, to do this move. Obviously, don't try and do this <laughs> and keep your fish and corals in a garage, unless you've got a heater and water circulation, uh, but don't try and keep it in, the, in there for, you know, days at a time. But I really hope you guys enjoyed uh, this podcast, I know I enjoyed it. I want, just really wanted to share this because I know a lot of people are afraid of this and there's not very much out there. Uh, as far as I'm aware, I don't think there's a video um, of moving fish or moving a tank. I mean, there's people that talk about it, you know, in, in sections of a video, but not a dedicated video, which is actually something I plan to do in the future. Um, but at least there's going to be an episode of podcast where you can hear it. So guys, Thank you very much for watching. Thank you very much for tuning in on The Reef Talk. I can't wait to release next episode. I think next episode is going to be great. We're going to be talking about a subject that I recently found out and a tip I think is going to be very useful as far as green hairology. So we're going to leave it here, guys. Thank you very much for joining in. As always, happy reefing. <laughs>